This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Oh my god, your negative space is so fantastic. to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watched season five, episode 16 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls. So, good talk. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Body. Brian, this is our 100th episode of the podcast. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. It only feels like like 97, maybe. <laughs> Congratulations to you. Thank you. Cheers. We're having afternoon cocktails. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's, it's, it's night. It's, it's 6.40. We yeah. can have... <laughs> we had a really late breakfast. It's 5 o'clock somewhere earlier than here. We started late with everything today. I can't believe it's like 7 already. But cheers to you on 100. What has the podcast meant to you so far? Podcast is great. We did this for fun, but tons of people like it, which is nice. Yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised with the response. Who knew? Yeah, yeah, this is like a silly idea we had. Who knew there'd be so many fans of both shows or just one, but listen anyway for the other half, even though they don't <laughs> know the show at all? There's all kinds of ways people listen to the show. Yeah. So thank you for coming on this journey with us. We've got like 50-some more to do, though, so we're not done yet. It feels like we're getting close to the end. Like, we're late season five, but really there's quite a bit more show. Yeah. But... Most people hate both last seasons, so maybe it'll be awful. We'll see. Do people hate the last two of Buffy? Some people do. A lot of people don't like the next season. I didn't when I first watched it. Interested to see how I feel this time. Yeah. A lot of people don't like six and seven of Gilmore Girls, but I feel like we will. I feel like we're still going to enjoy ourselves. I remember really liking season seven. Season six kind of does something. I, I don't know. I can't go into it. But then season seven is sort of just like, this is old school Buffy. They, they really try to kind of go back to the roots in a way that I think works. But we'll see. Maybe I won't think it works this time. Yeah. Season seven of Gilmore Girls is not Amy's baby. So that's part of it. Yeah. And season six introduces a storyline that people don't really like. The Logan baby storyline? Um, no. Oh. We got a five star review. Oh, nice. Thank you so much to It's Not a Cube. That's the name. <laughs> it's not a cube. Is that a reference you get? No. Oh, I thought maybe it was a joke or something you'd know. Is it something you know? No, no. Oh, no. I, I, I know what a cube is, and I know what's not a cube. I don't know. So in Us News, we went to Central Park, and we got rowboats, and we rowed out into, like, a lake. It was super fun. Yeah, there's, like, this little lake that kind of has fingers all over the middle of the park that you can rent boats and paddle around. And I didn't paddle at all. You mostly paddled and our yeah. other friend. The ladies just sort of fanned themselves and drank White Claw. <laughs> yeah. The men did all the hard paddling. Well, it was much harder for our other friend because he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> and at some point, you guys were like, do you guys want to go further? And I'm like, I'm not doing any work. So you decide how far <laughs> you want to go. It's funny because everyone that rents a boat, nobody knows how to paddle. Everyone's paddling like backwards or the wrong way and poorly. And it's like really just a struggle not to have them hit you. But it was fun. It was great. It was a beautiful day. Central Park. We love Central Park. It's like our favorite place to go in the city. Yeah. We got tacos. Two people recognized me while we were eating tacos at the restaurant. That was insane. Not like, oh, from the podcast. Just like people I know from working with them in New York. Yeah. Doing a comedy sketch. 
sketch. I don't know why I said comedy <laughs> sketch. Like someone's mom who doesn't quite remember what their daughter does. She does comedy sketch. Yeah, that was wild. I felt like a little celebrity. Yeah. Like a little one. Yeah, because you're very small. Yeah. You'd be surprised how small I am. She's in my pocket right now. <laughs> All right, let's get into today's episodes. Sounds good. This week we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, why don't you tell us about So Good Talk? This episode is about Emily coming back from her European second honeymoon and her trying to reach out to her daughter and granddaughter, but finding out that like maybe uh, things aren't as good as she thought they were. Yeah. It's also about Luke being mad. Oh, yeah. So the episode opens with a mailman in a coat and short shorts visiting Gilmore's house. I only mention this because she mentions his shorts, but he has a coat on. So what temperature is it right now, man? Is it cold? Is it is it hot? What, what are you wearing? It's probably like late March, early April. There's a funny line, though. <laughs> Lorelai's like, oh, I like those shorts. I missed your stems. <laughs> I do like calling legs stems. Yeah. I never do, but I like when other people do. So Lorelai and Rory are talking on the phone, and Rory reminds Lorelai that she should call her landline instead of her cell phone because she's hurting for money right now and her cell phone bill is high. So that's like a running theme in this episode is that Rory like doesn't have a lot of money, and she later says that there just isn't a good job for her on campus right now. But we mentioned that she's been spending money like willy-nilly the last several episodes. Yeah. Like the last episode she was with Marty, she bought like tons of different types of pretzels and ordered pizza. And I'm guessing like ordered giant blow up posters of the Marx Brothers, unless she had those somewhere, I guess. She's just been spending a ton of money. So it's just weird to be like suddenly like, oh, I don't have any. Okay. Well, Well, now she's out. She had a ton and she blew it all last week. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Rory and Lorelai are both still very mad at Emily for her plot to have Christopher replace Luke at Emily's renewal ceremony. And Rory makes it clear that she is very mad herself, too. It's not just Lorelai. Emily and Richard are on their honeymoon right now in Europe. And Emily has regularly been sending postcards back, seemingly ignoring the events she orchestrated at her vow renewal and Lorelai's comments at that renewal where she said, you and me, we're done. Her postcards are very much just like, happy-go-lucky, this is what I'm doing, make sure you're at Friday night dinner, wink-wink to both her and Rory. Lorelai's just ripping up these postcards when she gets them. She's also, like, improvising what they say. Like, yeah, the she's puppy. like, kick the puppy. Burned it out in an orphanage. Yeah. But it's clear that Rory is also mad at Emily in the scene, and that's, that's what's important. But did anyone ever tell Emily why they were mad at her? I mean, maybe she put it together when Laura said, we're done. But she would never was like, I know what you did. I don't know. If my daughter said to me, like, you and me were done, I would have follow-up questions. Or I would at least call and be like, hey, what was that about? Right. But she just left, and she probably has been ignoring her calls. Yeah, or I would just be like, oh, this is probably about Christopher. Well, Luke, by the way, is still not handling the breakup very well, uh, like at all. He is in a mood. He is just slamming the wrong breakfast down in front of people, not caring at all that they're not getting what they ordered or that he, like, ruined their food. Just snapping at everybody, like, to a point that's, like, absurd. It's almost like he doesn't want a single person to be in the restaurant. I wrote down that he's rage working. He's rage working. Yes, that is a perfect description. One guy like nicely complains to Lane that his eggs were like way overdone. And then Luke just literally picks him up out of his chair and throws him out the front door. <laughs> so much, but it was funny. Yeah, I mean, it's over the top. However, however, Kirk uh, doesn't mind this. In fact, he loves his new Cajun, a.k.a. just burnt to a crisp toast and like fishy bacon and runny eggs he's loving all this but but, 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 but put a pin in blackened cajun yes we're gonna come back to that but he makes a point of saying blackened cajun toast amy is back on her bullshit this is a direct direct thing 
from Buffy. Yeah, there's there's no way this is not referencing Buffy. Like you guys, this will is see. too specific. Yeah. Back at the end, Lorelai is on the phone dealing with her insurance. They are raising her rates a bunch because there were some claims during the winter, and she's like trying to get them lowered. She's doing her trick where she calls the guy a stud. She's done that before. It's kind of funny. I feel like she's done that a few times, actually. But then Emily calls. Lorelai just, like, hangs up on her right away and then does it again when she calls back. So then Richard calls, clearly on behalf of Emily. He's super awkward on the phone. And Lorelai is all, like, sunshine and rainbows and smiles for him. But as soon as he hands the phone over to Emily, Lorelai just hangs up again. I loved it. I loved it so much. I also just loved Richard's awkward, like, uh, hello. <laughs> like, clearly yeah. being puppeted by Emily. A couple things about the insurance call. The stable roof is... What's causing the problems? I think because of the snow, but their rates have gone up because of a few small claims due to the snow. Yes. It made me wonder if that couple died. Remember there was like a couple <laughs> that went missing in the snow? It's possible. I they mean, that's on a the big, stable roof. That's not a small claim if you died. <laughs> I know she's just like downplaying it. Just a couple small claims. I don't the think they died roof. on the property either. That couple died. My insurance is upset that a couple died. Whatever. Sugi is trying to get her menu figured out for the next several months because she wants to be prepared for when she has to take maternity leave. And Lorelai tells Sugi that she should come over and binge all three A Star is Born movies. There's four now. Yeah, I was going to say, there's four now. I, when I first watched it, I was like, oh yeah, the new one. And then I realized, oh, there are three previous ones? Two points about this. One, Lorelai mentions that she isn't in the mood for pizza tonight. That's just put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. Secondly, she says that she Netflixed them. Do you guys remember when Netflix was by mail? I had to, like, think about what she meant for a second by Netflixed. She had them sent by mail. Remember that? It's such a funny detail they put in the show, having no idea the show eventually would be very popular on Netflix, and they'd do a whole revival on Netflix. Yeah, it's so, it's so funny. She also says she can't be couch potato girl, which yeah. is very Buffy speak. Yes, it is. Suki is worried that Lorelai is going to become a spinster couch potato girl, so she insists that she has to take Lorelai out that night. But since Suki is like super pregnant, when she goes to pick up Lorelai that night, they realize she can't do a lot of things. Like she can't go dancing. She really doesn't like going drinking because she can't drink and it's sad to watch other people drink. She can't really go to a movie because she's got to pee constantly. But she definitely wants to take Lorelai somewhere. So Lorelai finally is like, no, let tell you what, let's just order pizza and watch A Star is Born. And so they're like, okay, let's do that. Which is weird because earlier she mentioned she did not want to have pizza. But I guess she's just trying to be cool to her friend. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Later, they both compromise, and Suki takes her to Weston's, a quiet place that Suki says Lorelai never goes. That illusion is shattered, like, immediately when a busboy mentions Lorelai by name and says, oh, it's second time here today, huh? Meanwhile, at Yale, Rory is too poor to buy a fancy latte, even with her handful of sweaty change. She's, like, trying to order it and be like, how much was that the cream? How much was just one shot? And it's like, you must know you don't have money for this. Yeah. Also, just get a coffee. If you get like a dollar, just get a coffee. Yeah, you might as well. If you have that much money left, just just get a coffee. Save your $2 for lunch. Yeah, don't order a fancy drink you have no money for. I've maybe said this before, but in college, a coffee, one of our little coffee carts was like 85 cents. Yeah. What a magical time of my life. I think that's when I first started drinking coffee. Yeah. They were flavored, just like regular coffee, but like English toffee or whatever. It's great. Rory's just like probably going to end up getting like a super small coffee if she can find a dollar on the ground. Uh, But then Logan swoops in and buys it for her. They flirt. It's very cute. He actually says like, this would be a nice cute meet if I didn't already meet you. But it's weird, right? Did they call it? It's called a meet cute. When did it flip? Meet cute's trademarked. Mm, Okay. I I made that up. I hope you didn't believe me. (laughs) I did believe you. (laughs) 
Trademarked by whom? I don't know. I was like, you said it very confidently, and I believe women, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. About trademarks, specifically. TM is me too, but backwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their flirting is cute. I like it. Uh, they're doing a lot of kissing. Logan says that he's going to be going on a skiing trip for spring break, so they're not really going to see each other. So Rory goes home for spring break with a ton of laundry. Lorelai could tell that Rory is tight for money, just based on, like, a couple of subtle clues. So she gives her a $20 bill and later gives her some change for laundry and also tells her that she knows Andrew needs help with inventory at his bookstore and Rory could work there part-time during her spring break. So this is all nice mom-daughter stuff. She has, like, a couple other jobs she pitches Rory could have, and one is, like, shooing the cows away from the radio transmitter. (laughs) Yeah. I just like that that's a job that exists in this town. Yeah. Rory is very pleased about her new job. She's happy until she goes to Friday night dinner where she is immediately cold as fuck to Emily. All one word answers to her questions. Barely any eye contact with Emily. Just like super cold and like shut down until Richard shows up. And to Richard, Rory is super friendly and nice. She wants to know all about his trip. She's got tons of follow-up questions for every comment he has. Just super warm and friendly to him. Something that Emily brought up and Rory was cold about, Rory like asks Richard about, like a museum or something that they Yeah, went yeah. To. Emily picks up on this eventually, and at the table she like mouths for Richard to like do something. And like poor Richard is like, uh, uh so uh, Rory, you, you tell us if something's wrong, right? Rory's like, no, nothing's wrong. This is where Rory asks about the museum, and that's, like, enough for Emily. Yeah, Emily at this point just, like, breaks and demands to know what's going on. She has this funny line where she's like, You even made polite chit-chat with the maid, what's-her-name, about the duck. (laughs) I love that Emily doesn't even know her current maid's name. She says, You're enjoying duck because I requested duck. So Rory says, Kudos on the duck, Grandma. I thought that was very funny. It's also very difficult for me to read my notes right now because, once again, every time Duck is typed in, it autocorrects it to <laughs> fuck. So it's, you're only enjoying the fuck because I requested the fuck. Kudos on the fuck, Grandma. <laughs> we gotta stop putting Duck in these episodes. <laughs> yeah, stop it with the Duck. Emily tries to blame Lorelai for Rory's attitude right now. She's all like, you're just doing this to your mother. This is your mother's doing. And Rory's like, uh, no, this is because I'm mad at you. And she's like, you know what? We have a contract, so I have to come here for Friday night dinners, but I don't have to be friendly or bubbly. The contract doesn't say anything about that. And then she just excuses herself and walks out, even though Emily's like, you can't leave. She's like, yeah, I can. I fulfilled my part of the application. I just want to say that this scene was, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Delicious. (laughs) I loved it. I love when Rory yells at Emily. It's the best thing in the world. It's like a back rub. Um, One more. A delicious, delicious back rub. Yeah, I don't know how senses work. It smells like <laughs> it tastes good. Yeah, I mean, part of me was like, Rory's being so ridiculous. Like, she's, she is being rude. If if this were me, I feel like I'd be slightly warmer. I don't know. I feel like she's intentionally hurting her grandmother I mean, by being yeah. super open to Richard. But she's mad at her grandma. She wants her grandma to know what's up. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, I liked it. And I, I think it's believable. I feel like a young kid would not when I say young kid I'm an older man at this point but like you know like a 20 year old would do this I feel like it's slightly out of character because she generally is like trying to be peaceful regardless of the situation but she has yelled at her grandma before I don't think it's out of character because she really cares about Luke and we've seen the scene she desperately wants Luke and Lorelai to be together like she's gone so far as to like ostracize her father to make that happen And Emily's behavior wasn't like, oh, well, Emily is, you know, set in her ways and she's a little, it's like, no, Emily tried to orchestrate an end to their relationship that she had no business doing. 
So, like, I don't think this is out of character because this is something Rory feels real strong about. Then maybe it's better to, like, tell her why she's mad instead of, like, I don't know, like, being nice to Richard but so cold to her. When you say maybe it's better, like, in a utopia where everyone shares their feelings, but in this, I think Rory's trying to point out, like, how could you, I mean, she does say as much, like, how can you pretend everything's normal? Yeah. Like, nothing happened. Like, you didn't do what you did. I think she's trying to, like, highlight that. And I didn't think it was out of character at all. Or crazy. What Emily did was crazy. Yeah, totally. Rory meets Suki and her mom later at Weston's, and she says she assumed Lorelai would be there because she's always there, which was very funny because Suki's like, how often are you here? I thought this was like a neat thing I was taking you to. Suki falls asleep like in an instant, like just they like turn away from her. She just like falls asleep. And then uh, Rory's like, hey, mom, I want to talk to you about something uh, about, you know, having sex with Logan. This scene was kind of nice because if you guys remember several seasons ago when she was with Jess, she promised her mother that when she was ready to start having sex, she would tell her. But then her and Jess broke up before they had sex. And then eventually she had sex with Dean, but it happened super fast. So she didn't really have a time to tell her mother. So now she wants to kind of like do things right and tell her mother that like things are starting with her and Logan. I feel like she's out of this obligation now. Yeah, I I feel like she is out of the obligation, but I feel like she was sort of trying to honor that agreement because it didn't work the first time. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have to tell her every new person she has sex with now? I don't think so, but, like, if she has sex with another person, I think we're done, but, like, she doesn't have to do this. But I think she's just sort of saying, like, hey, I feel so bad. I'm trying to make up for my failure earlier. Since I didn't really ever do it with the first one. Yeah, and, like, I'm trying to do it now. It is symbolic. It doesn't really mean anything. Obviously, she's not going to do that again. And she has had sex with Logan already. But I like this scene a lot because I feel like Lauren Graham plays it really well. On the one hand, she's super happy that her daughter is sharing all of this with her, feels that she can share this with her mother. And it's what her mother wants. to. She wants to know this is happening. And she plays it very supportively. But I also feel like we sense a hint of apprehension from Lorelai. Oh, big time. Which is exactly what a parent would think, right? Like, especially her, which is like, I'm your friend and your parent, which is like, I'm happy that you could share this with me. And like, I'm your girlfriend. Like, of course, you can like dish this stuff to me, you know, you can share this like gossip with me. But she is still a mother. So there's like a hint of like, uh, like sex is complicated and like can lead to heartbreak, you know. Especially because it's, like, so soon, I think, she thinks. Like, they just started being together. Right. But I feel like she plays it really well. I feel like she shows both emotions to us and and to Rory, I feel like, a little bit. Yeah. This is where the title comes in. Yeah. And then she, yes. And then she's like, so, good talk. And then she buys them rim balls. (laughs) But you can tell this so good talk is like, I don't know what to say next. Yeah. But I liked it. I know, because they're close and they're friends. They're, like, best friends. But, like, she's still her mother. Yeah. Also, Rory seems very smitten with Logan, which I think portends that she's a little too smitten. And we already have the offer on the table that they're not exclusive, a fact that she does not mention to her mom, by the way. No. No. So I feel like, oh, you're catching feelings, even though this is supposed to be very, you know, whatever, very cash. To be fair, he seems very into her. Well, I mean, he could seem that way to everybody. That could be his whole idea. Yeah. He seemed very into the girl he was at the vow renewal with. That's true. But Rory also seemed very happy, which I liked. I like seeing Rory happy. The next day, Richard calls Lorelai about the Friday night dinner fiasco, demanding Lorelai do something about it. But Lorelai's like, uh, no, this isn't about me. Rory is upset because she cares about me and Luke. And Emily ruined that relationship, which affected Rory. She doesn't want to see Luke get, like, humiliated. She loves Luke. 
Yeah, she's kind of like, you have to fix this problem. It's not my responsibility. Yeah. I, like, totally agree. I was like, yeah, I mean, maybe she did need to clarify for Richard that she didn't, like, make Rory do this. But, like, Mm -hmm. Rory's an adult. It's not Lorelai's responsibility to, like, tell her to be nice to her grandparents. Yeah. She goes on to be like, I feel like Rory was pretty awesome by, like, still going to Friday night dinner. Like, she's still fulfilling her obligation. Yeah. But she can't control her behavior. But also she mentions that she won't be coming to any of the Friday night dinners. And Richard's like, wait, so we're supposed to accept we'll just never see you again? She's like, yeah, I guess. Well, you, Richard, can come see me whenever you want. But uh, I'm not going to be talking to Emily. This kind of makes Richard pause. Then Lorelai starts asking all kinds of insurance premium questions. And Richard's like, wait, wait, wait. Are you asking me a question about insurance? She's like, yeah. He's like, okay, carry on. (laughs) But then Lorelai has to get off the phone very quickly because she sees a policewoman giving a ticket to Luke for his boat. And she, like, talks the policewoman out of that, saying that it's there for, like, a charity for children. She's, like, making, she's just pulling shit out of her ass. Something about a kitten needing a tissue. <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of like, what? This sounds fake to me. It was kind of like the fake jam she got for Luke. Yeah. Just, like, making up a story. The woman's finally like, well, you gotta move in. She's like, we'll do. And this is very nice of Lorelai, considering that this is not her boat. She did not park it there. And she's actually, like, a little resentful of Luke for parking it there but she still cares about Luke. You can see him working in the window, but he like doesn't necessarily notice any of this. Yeah, inside Luke is still pissed as hell, juxtaposed to Kirk still loving the hell out of his burnt food. He asks for a napkin at some point, and Luke throws a dirty towel in his face, which Kirk loves. Kirk is all like, a cloth napkin and a moist towel all in <laughs> one. Kirk is having a ball. Some dude walks in as Lane is going on a delivery and she tells him to like maybe wait until she gets back before trying to order. He's all like, forget it, I'm hungry now. But then like we see Luke physically throwing him out of the restaurant like just a few seconds later. Yeah, Lane's like leaving, walking down the street. Dude just like falls out behind her. Dude's bigger than Luke too. I don't understand how that happened. That was really funny. Lane's delivery is taking a burger to Rory who's working at Andrews and who eats her burger upside down, by the way. I just, I... I want to point that out. She eats it upside down. It's weird. It was a weird choice. I didn't notice that. Yeah, she bites into it upside I mean, who cares? But it was like, why would you do that? Like though? bottom bun facing us? Yeah, bottom up. Huh. And she's like, oh, this burger's not good. And I'm like, well, it's because you're eating it wrong. But it's probably because Luke is on a tear right now. How badly can you mess up a burger? Like either it's raw or it's burnt. You can't. I mean, I guess Kirk mentioned that the bacon or something tasted like fish. So that could be the case. Yeah, I don't know how Luke is messing up every single item of food. I could see, and it doesn't matter, whatever. That's the plot. Maybe he's just not cleaning the griddle. Yeah. Lane lets her know that Luke is like off his game since the breakup. Lane also mentions that Zach is cooking dinner for her tonight. She describes her relationship with him as having the perfect haircut every single day, which is kind of nice. Yeah, but I think his hair looks terrible later, so that's like a weird thing. (laughs) Well, I don't think he's like a perfect haircut, just the feeling of having a perfect haircut. I know. It was just weird they drew attention to his hair and it was bad. His like special dinner, by the way, was some spaghetti and flat Pepsi, which sounds terrible. But Lane loves all of it. That's what she wanted. She loves flat Pepsi. That sounds so fucking gross, but she loves it. Right after this special dinner he made for her, Zach is being like super affectionate. Like she wants to like soak the dish. She's like, no, no, no. After. After. He keeps saying after. And Lane is totally into this and kissing him until she realizes that he wants to have sex. And then Lane freaks out. He's like, you must have known that's what I was planning. There's rose petals leading to the bedroom. And she's like, yeah, I thought that you like tracked those in. You're a dirty boy. And he's like, yeah, and I also said tonight's a special evening. I don't say stuff like special evening. I play guitar. I thought that was super funny. He's like, I'm bad. I'm a bad man. 
Yeah, and then he starts feeling super bad, like he was being pushy, and he's like, yeah, I'm a bad man, I'm a bad man. And she's like, no, you're not being bad, you're not pushing me, I missed obvious clues. And she's like, it makes sense, I'm 20, we live together, we've been dating a while. So Lane seems to be like warming up to the idea that maybe they're gonna have sex, so Zach perks up and he's like, so, what do you think? And then Lane blurts out, even to her own surprise, well, I have to wait until I get married. Neither of them know how they feel about that. She's all like, what? Did I say that? What the hell? He's like, I don't know if I'm okay with that. She's like, I don't know if I am either. She's all like, you know what? I'll clean up. I'll do the dishes. It's the least I could do since you're not getting laid tonight. That was all kind of funny. The next day at Andrews, Lane tells Roy that she doesn't understand why this particular Christian tradition stuck with her while all the others didn't. Like everything her mother tried to instill in her did not stick, except for the waiting till marriage part. Lane asks Rory if sex is great, and Rory says, not in front of the books. Also very funny. Yeah. Lane is frustrated, so she runs out, and on her way out, she sees her mom, and she's like, you're in my head. Are you happy? You're in my head. And Mrs. Kim's like, what? This is very funny, too, because apparently it just runs in the family that you can yell at people on the street corner. (laughs) Rory gets a call from Logan. I could not tell if she gets a call from Logan or if she calls Logan, because the... Either way, it doesn't really quite make sense. Yeah, I think she calls him because she's discovered something about Hemingway, which they were arguing about earlier. But he That's answers what, instantly. He answers immediately. Like, within, as soon as she presses the button, he answers, which is like, did it ring? And he's just, like, <laughs> sitting somewhere. He's not, like, walking or driving. He's just, like, waiting on a bench for her call. Yeah, with the phone in front of him, like, flipped open, like, ready to go. But he answers, and yeah, she, earlier he had mentioned that, like, Hemingway's wife had destroyed some manuscript he had, and she was like, no, he left it on a plane, and she found out that that's, it was actually stolen, so neither of them were right. Logan says that he has actually decided to cut his spring break trip short because his friend Finn has decided it was naked time too often. (laughs) Like he was doing a naked weekend or something. So he's cut his spring break short and he is back at Yale, which is deserted and super romantic. And he's like, you should maybe come here and we could be together. So Rory heads back to Yale to hang out with him. It was kind of nice because Lorelai's all like, yeah, go back. You should. And she like 100% knows it's because Logan is there and she's fine with it. Earlier, Richard visits Lorelai at the inn, and he has one of his men look around to do insurance appraisals, and he thinks that her current insurance is, like, super scamming her, and he thinks he can do better. He also tells her that he's really impressed with what she's done with the place. It was, like, really sweet. It's even really heartfelt. He immediately tries to, like, find out a way to, like, have a big company come in and buy it from her so she can make money from it, but she's like, no, I want to own it. He's like, okay, okay, okay. You know, it's just my fucking default is to find a way to make more money. (laughs) He pulls out her chair for her. That was cute. Yes. Also, he says he likes the stables, and Lorelai mentions that the horses are a draw. Yeah, he's like, the stables were a good idea, and she's like, they're quite the draw. And I'm just like, okay, whatever, Amy Sherman Palladino. (laughs) You're not going to convince me that the horses were a solid financial investment in this small town inn. I'm sorry. I don't care what dream you had. That's not true. That's also what was causing the insurance problems. <laughs> yeah, the insurance problems and like all the money problems of feeding these horses. Like they are a bad investment. I'm sorry, Amy. You're not going to convince me. You also hear a horse neigh during that conversation. Yeah, it was saying, no, I don't believe that. <laughs> uh, but this is a sweet scene. I liked it. Yeah, it's nice that they're getting along. Well, the next day at home, Richard tells Emily about his meeting with Lorelai, and Emily is pissed. She's just angrily cutting tulips, the number of which vary from shot to shot. I have rage cutting flowers right yeah. now. <laughs> the position of them also changes. Yeah. She's like, I'm not mad. And he's like, right, right, right. The flowers just like deserved this. Just like Luke, honestly. Yeah, that's funny. That's actually funny. She's like, doesn't like Luke. But it's like, well, you guys are kind of the same. 
Well, she is also a little mad at Richard. She's like, you're loving this. You're just so happy to be the favorite and you're enjoying all of this. And it's interesting because I don't know if that's fair or not. On the one hand, I feel like he's not gloating or rubbing anyone's face. But I, I feel like we do maybe get a sense that he doesn't hate it. Right. It's hard. I don't know how to feel about how Richard feels about it. It's not his fault that Lorelai doesn't hate him. And he's also super supportive of Emily the entire episode. Like, very supportive. Like, very not argumentative. Like, tries to make peace between her and Rory and stuff. But maybe he is? I don't know. I really don't know what we're supposed to think. I don't know that he truly believes what Emily did was wrong. No, I don't think so. I think he thinks maybe it was fine. But he's just trying... I mean, he he goes on to say, like, that Lorelai's incapable of judging what's right and wrong, so Emily had to do what she did. Yeah. But it backfired, so this is what they have to deal with now. Like, he's just being very pragmatic about it. Right. But I just don't know how he feels about, like, because he is taken aback when Lorelai's like, well, you and I can still spend time together. He says the reality is she's only talking to him, and at least this way they have some contact with her. And he feels like this way, eventually they might be able to get her to come back to Friday night dinners and everything be back to normal. But if they cut off all contact, they won't. And Emily's finally like, fine. But I, I feel like Emily's accusation that he's loving this, we don't really see that. Yeah. But does he say like the odds of getting the status quo back to normal aren't good or something like that if we yeah. they keep doing it her way? It's just very like business-like. Yeah. That's how he thinks, I think. Yeah, which I think is this scene is written well. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the scene, Richard kisses Emily and is like, don't worry, I've got everything under control. Yeah. I do feel like Emily is being crazy this whole episode, though. And also Luke is, too. I feel like both of them are, like, emotionally insane. Like, just, like, shouting and angry and, like, unable to think of the other person's perspectives. Does Luke even have any lines in this episode? Maybe a couple? Yeah, he does have a couple of lines in this episode. He, like, Lane tries to get hash browns from him and he, like, yells at her. Yeah. Emily is being... So much. And I was just thinking that, like, I feel like a normal mother would at this point be depressed, not just furious. Like, there might be a moment of the anger, but, like, Emily's just angry the whole episode. It's more fun to watch a woman rage cut flowers than curl up in a bed, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. But no, what we have is Emily just super angry at, you know, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Consequences of her own actions. Yeah. Side note, Richard is upset for like a second that there aren't any stools in his kitchen so he can like properly argue with his wife, I guess. It was like a weird comment. Like he's only in there for like 20 seconds. Yeah. The only thing I could say is it might be a Buffy reference because there yes. are stools in the Buffy kitchen. I know, but it's also just like, are you, okay, you've been in here for like, um, this scene is like a minute long, Richard. Yeah, what are you doing? Why have we never gotten stools in here? It's like, what are you going to do with a stool? I can't <laughs> see you sitting on a stool. Yeah, I would, I don't want to see an episode where Richie has to sit in a stool. He wouldn't know where to begin. <laughs> Emily, by the way, insists that she did nothing wrong. She broke up Luke and Lorelai for Lorelai's own good because Lorelai is incapable of judging what's right or wrong for her. That's like you said. So Emily had to step in to help her. All of this dialogue made me, like, hate her so much more. And like you said, Richard agrees with her. But, like, I don't know that Richard would have taken these steps. Like, I feel like Richard may have told Lorelai the hard truths he felt he knew. But I don't know that he would have done some sort of, like, secret machinations and puppeteering to make this happen. Yeah, I mean, they were both, like, team, let's break them up. Absolutely. I agree with you. Well, Richard, though, tried to, like find a way to rehabilitate Luke. Yeah. He was like, uh, like, I don't like Luke. Luke sucks, but like, that's what we've got. And I'm going to try to find a way to make him acceptable, which you can shit all over him for doing that. But that's different than being like, I'm going to find a way to cut him out of my daughter's life because her choice is wrong. And I can't find a way to make it fit into my life. I feel like there's two different approaches. Both are shitty, but one I think is objectively shittier than the other one. 
That night, Kirk is still at Luke's, still loving the hell out of his burnt food when Emily strolls in. Luke says he's too busy to talk to her, so she sits down at the bar, and she's being like a Loki bitch, as always. That was funny, though. She's like, that's fine. I'll just wait here until things die down. (laughs) There's obviously no one in there. Yeah, I know. And she just keeps laying it on, too. She's, like, insulting the menu and the way that Emily sort of insults everything. And she, like, is, like, at some point, she's like, you've got your coffee done. Like, let's talk. He's also obviously ignoring her. I mean, he has every right to ignore her. Yeah. But I could see what she's like. I could see that you're not actually busy. Like, Emily's got this, like, air about her. Like, she is rolling her eyes to this entire scene. Like, she just, like, cannot believe she's stooped down to be here. She's better than every single person that's been into this restaurant ever. But finally, she's just like, you need to talk to me. And she says, Lorelai isn't speaking to me. Emily goes on to say she feels that she knows what's best for Lorelai, but Lorelai has her own ideas about what will make her happy. And Emily says that Luke is that idea. She wants you, Luke, so Luke wins. She tells him to go back to Lorelai. She promises that she'll stay out of the way, and then she leaves. When she leaves, by the way, Kirk is, like, pressed up against the glass. I don't know why he's doing this. And she's like, you're going to need to clean that glass. She made him leave when she started talking to Luke. Yeah, but why is he pressed against the glass? To see. I guess so. He took his food with him. Uh, Luke doesn't look at Emily while she's talking, but you can tell what she's saying is affecting him. So Luke goes to Lorelai's. She opens the door. She is kind of, it's interesting because after Rory leaves, she's sitting on the couch watching another Star is Born, sort of becoming the couch potato spinster that Suki was worried about her becoming and she was like promising not to become. But then Luke is at the door, which is interesting because that's how the episode started with someone being at the door. Oh yeah. The mailman. But this time it's Luke. He's at the door. She opens it. There's no dialogue. He just goes in for a kiss and then they kiss hard to the sounds of a Star is Born. Lorelai closes the door while they kiss. Cue credits. They had their first kiss by a door. That's true. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. Do you think this is a good one? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It's maybe not the most memorable one, but some big stuff definitely happened. Yeah. I loved Angry Rory at Friday Night Dinner. Oh, I loved it. I loved it so much. Yeah, that was cool. I love that there's tension there. That's because the new... we never get that. We never get Rory yeah. angry, like really angry at Emily. Not really. Right. That's a new source of drama that we don't yeah. usually have. We've seen her be mad at her, Emily, before, but like it was never like this angry, like this blatant. Yeah. I liked Richard and Lorelai. I liked the way Richard tried to fix things in his very Richard way. Mm-hmm. Luke was a bit outrageous, and I don't know how I feel about Emily telling him to go to her. I mean, I guess, like, he could have just gone to her. He didn't need her permission. I think it wasn't that he got her permission. It was a couple of things that she said. One. That Lorelai wants to be with him. Yeah, and that Lorelai thinks Luke will make her happy. Even though her mother is like, I don't like Luke, I want Luke gone. Like, despite all that, Lorelai wants Luke. But Luke knew that. She, like, begged him not to leave. I know, but I feel like the fact that it's, like, ruined her relationship with her mother is sort of, like, sending a signal, like, no, she meant all that. Yeah. She also promises to stay out of it, which is something he was worried about. But if we're being real, too, I mean, Luke wants to be Lorelai so bad. Like, Mm -hmm. I almost feel like he's looking for an excuse to go back. Which the last episode did a good job of showing. Yeah. He wasn't checked out. He did want to see her. Yeah. And I think this was just, like, this is just the push I needed. Like, I was already, like, ready to do it. But, like, I just needed a push. And this is the push. And I think the lane bomb was fun. Yeah. It was just like an interesting tidbit because, I I mean, I knew that that was happening. Yeah. Eventually, but like, obviously, Zach is someone that's probably had sex a bunch. Yeah. So like, how do we deal with that bridge? Right. And we're there. We got to maybe cross it soon. 
Yeah, I thought that was funny. I I loved Lane's like cognitive dissonance. She's just like, wait, wait, what do I feel like? <laughs> like she's definitely doesn't mind that other people have sex before marriage, but like she can't. She doesn't even know why she can't. Yeah. So I feel like it'll be interesting to see what happens next with that. I mean, I know, but what do you think happens next with that? I think they're gonna get married. You're gonna get married? Yeah, they're gonna get married. You recently said you didn't think she would stay with Zach. I don't think she will. You think they're gonna get married, have sex, and get divorced? Mm-hmm. Immediately? No. She's so young though. I mean, does that not mean you can get married? I mean, Dean did. Yeah, and that was a good, like, look at that marriage. That's about as long as theirs is going to last. Yeah, I guess that's how it works in this town. Yeah. Obviously, Zach can't cook very well, so it's not going to work. Lane loved it. I know. It just sounded gross when you described it. It's just, also, spaghetti's a super simple meal. Sorry, it is. I would say this episode was a combination of, like, very big, cool moments and, like, kind of whatever forgettable moments. Yeah, I agree. Little moments like Richard complimenting Lorelai on, like, how nice her inn is. I like that. That was small, but, like, you don't get a lot of positive feedback from her parents about her, like, individualistic life choices. I liked the chemistry between Roy and Logan. Yes. Whether or not that will go well is TBD, but I, I liked where they were in this episode. Yeah, I agree. And, um, I don't know. The stuff with Suki was kind of just filler. It was. To give Lorelai something to do. But Yeah. Yeah, it was entertaining enough. Not the best one ever, but I wouldn't say it was bad in any way. Right. Well, I think now we should move on to a special segment we like to call Meanwhile Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Well, Meanwhile Uncharmed, Season 5, Episode 16, Baby's First Demon. What? A crone is plotting with other demons to steal Wyatt and his power, but Wyatt demonstrates that he can protect himself. Paige disguises himself as a bounty hunter to track down her nephew's enemies. So, so Wyatt, Wyatt did get born. Be the baby? Yeah, the cause. The co- yes, he's the cause, and uh, Wyatt must be the name of that other demon who they promised to Wait, name the sea baby after. Thing, the sea creature thing. It was like a demon working with a sea creature, but they fixed that situation by promising to name the baby after it. And he was like, cool. Right. His name was just Wyatt. Okay. Yeah, Wyatt the demon. Right. That's a demon name. So I guess magic's back now, because magic was going to come back once the baby was born. Yeah. Okay, we fixed all that. But now there's a crone after the baby? Dude, there's crones after it, like hundreds of babies. So what do you think the baby's power is? I mean, he's got a ton of power. I mean, he's supposed to cause world peace, right? As the cause? Yeah, I think he's just got a lot of power. But he can, like, make people be peaceful. But he can't even talk yet. Right. Or walk. What do you, how does he protect himself? You think he just, like, glows? Yeah, I mean, I think they try to grab the baby. He sort of, like, ghosts himself. So, like, he's incorporeal and they can't grab him. Ooh, I was kind of thinking like Blanca in Street Fighter. He kind of has like an electric field. Okay, let's go with Blanca power. He's got Blanca power. So yeah, like the crone tries to grab him. She like gets away, gets past everybody, grabs him, and then she gets Blanca'd. And they even say that like, oh, did that baby just Blanca? Yeah, they keep saying Blanca. Yeah. They set this up so everybody knows what Blanca is by Andy and Leo playing Street Fighter at the top of the episode. Yeah, there's a long scene of it. You're like, why are they playing Street Fighter? Andy has a tiny controller. It's cute. Yeah, it's super small. And um, Leo has one that's easy for dogs to use. Paige's disguise as a bounty hunter is pretty funny. It's like a big old fake beard. She uses magic, but she still uses a big old fake beard. Yeah, because like the crones, they leave because they got Blanca, but they're yeah. gonna, you know, regroup and try this again. Can't just like anyone be a bounty hunter? Why we got to disguise ourselves? It's not like a bounty hunter has a costume. Well, I'm assuming if they see that she's Paige, they'll be like, wait, we know you. Sure, sure, sure. 
Maybe she disguised herself as a specific bounty hunter that's very famous. Like Doc, the bounty hunter? He's shown up in this show before, according to us. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's probably him. Okay, yeah. She's dressed up as Dog, the bounty hunter. So she tracks down all the crones and, you know, she gets them hard. She gets them hard? Yeah. She she gets them in a hard way. Okay, she gives them all little handies, and then she's like, Aren't crones women? You can give a woman a handy, baby. It's just a different handy motion. Can you get a woman hard? A part of her, very small part of her. A crone is an old woman who's thin and ugly. Paige is just running around giving old skinny women handies. I mean, they don't give a lot of handies, so they're like, Well, okay, I'm into this. And then she's like, Don't mess with that baby. And they're like, Okay. The first image that comes up is definitely not a thin woman. Also, there appears to be a very handsome, maybe singer, whose name is Crone? Victor Crone. Looks like he did Eurovision. Anyway, so the Crones are like, cool, this was a great time. We'll leave your nephew alone. We can die happy. And they're like, we are going to tell everyone that Dog the Bounty Hunter did this. And she's like, that's fine. Go ahead. We'll see if that has any repercussions. But she's like, go for it. And then uh, she goes home to see what else this baby can do. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe he can, uh, how can as well. Yeah, he might have all the Street Fighter powers. <laughs> Yoga Flame. I hope so. Well, this has been Meanwhile on Charmed. We just wanted to take a second now to let you guys know about Summer Water, a very special product from our friends at Wink.com. Summer Water is an award-winning, highly praised dry rosé and one of Wink's top-selling products. It's so well-liked that Wink gave it its own wine club, the Summer Water Societe. Society members receive 10% off their orders, free shipping, and random surprises included in the delivery. You can order packs of 4, 8, or 12 bottles, including the regular Summer Water Rosé, or try their chilled red. It's also available in Summer Water Rosé Droplets, which are fun-sized single-serving bottles. Stay stocked in Rosé for your summer events and all year round. If you're interested, you can sign up using the Summer Water link in our episode description. Well, we also watched Buffy. Stacy, can you tell us all about the hilarious episode, The Body? Sure. Um, so Buffy's mom has has died. And <laughs> it's it's not a funny one. You you set me up. I was just gonna say what I was gonna say. And this episode is about Buffy and all of her friends dealing with that. Yeah. So we had had a few requests to have us live react to this and we started to we had a camera set up we filmed us watching about half of it at least but we weren't really saying anything so we're just not gonna do that because you kind of just had to watch the first part of this Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot to comment on it just didn't feel like something anybody would want to watch so sorry if we promised we were gonna do that and we're not but you wouldn't have liked it yeah so this is a, a more of a serious episode yeah I just I feel like we should give like our perspective. Like you and I have not been in this situation, experiencing like sudden loss of a parent or someone very close to us. Mm-hmm. We've both had younger people in our lives die unexpectedly, but again, never anyone quite this close to us. We have both had parents with cancer. Yeah, it's true. Luckily, treatable so yeah. far, and not like brain cancer. Um, I've lost all my grandparents. Mm-hmm. One grandpa before I was born. My other grandpa did die of cancer when I was 13, which eventually moved to his brain. So I, I've experienced what that was like for him and my family. My two grandmas both sort of had like long health struggles, more heart related that like really affected the last few years of their life. It, still tough to deal with, but I think like even they would agree that their passings were a blessing and not at all sudden. Mm-hmm. I only say this so you guys like understand our perspective because obviously we're maybe not going to relate to this episode as much as some of our listeners who've maybe experienced death in a heavier way than we have personally. 
Yeah. And I think the show does a good job of portraying the grief of these characters. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially Buffy. I feel like it's really well done. There are a few light moments, but we won't be making as many jokes about it as we normally would. Right. But there's a lot here to talk about, right? Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's get into it. Let's do it. So we see the end of the last episode again. Buffy coming home, noticing Joyce's date has sent her flowers. Buffy calls for Joyce, but then notices her on the couch. Cue intro credits. We just we just see all that again. I was like, are they going to play the song? The song's so intense for the situation. Yeah, it was a weird cut to that. They almost just should have not done it this episode. Just like put the people's names over the first scene or something. Yeah. It was jarring. Yeah. But after the credits, we see a flashback to last Christmas. This is a, a much happier affair. Dawn's accidentally been given one of the spiked nogs. Anya lets us know that Santa is real, except for the present part. He's more of a child disemboweler. That was funny. Mm-hmm. Buffy takes some plates into the kitchen where Joyce is burning the pie, which Buffy tries to spin into a positive thing, calling it blackened Cajun pie. Which is, okay, let's talk about, before we go any further. What is happening? This is the only time on Buffy they've ever used the word Cajun. This is the only time on Gilmore I've heard them use the word Cajun. And they both were like blackened Cajun food. That's just a weird coincidence that both were used. Yeah, I mean, that is, I feel like Amy definitely was pulling something from this. Yeah, if this is the only example, okay, what a weird coincidence. But this is just like so specific. It's not every episode and I wish it was. I mean, maybe it is and we just miss stuff. That's true. But we're watching these episodes like twice sometimes. Sometimes it's just so blatant. Like, I don't know how that could be a coincidence. It could be. It could be a coincidence. But Kirk's line could have been anything. He could have just said he was eating burnt food. He didn't need to say Cajun. Anyway... Giles suggests perhaps opening another bottle of wine. Joyce is like, do you think we dare? And Buffy's like, as long as you two stay away from the band candy, it's fine with me. It's a fun callback, too. Yeah. Buffy and Joyce kind of laugh about this as they cut the burnt parts off the pie, but then they drop the pie on the ground, and then there's just an abrupt cut back to a close-up of Joyce on the couch. Damn. I thought that was cool. Yeah. it was just like, oh, remember this happy memory? It's gone. Yeah. Very intense. Very jarring. In a better way than cutting to the credits. Yes, in an intentional way. Yes, yes, yes. I guess it makes sense that they did like the remember this happened last time before the credits. So just like the entire episode can follow that. Right. Buffy runs to her. She's shaking her. She's not waking up. She calls 911. They're going to send someone. The lady on the phone starts to walk her through CPR. Buffy kind of remembers how. So she like puts down the phone, starts trying. She breaks her ribs. Is that because Buffy's strong or is that because that's something that can happen? I would say both. It can it can happen. This is not it's not uncommon. It's not like every time. It's not uncommon, but also Buffy's super strong. Yeah, the the lady on the phone seemed like not shocked by that. Buffy also notices that she's cold, which she tells the nine one one lady. Nine one one lady's like, the body is cold, and Buffy's like, no, my mom. Like clearly not accepting that yeah, we're calling yeah. this a body. Buffy's beginning to lose it a bit at this point, like sort of detaching from the situation. Like her eyes get all wide, her lips are going white. She stops listening to the 911 lady and just very robotically says, I have to make a call. You can tell she's like looking around thinking this is maybe something supernatural. She kind of just stares at the phone for a bit and then speed dials Giles, tells him he has to come and says she's at the house. She meaning Glory, I assume. No, 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 no. She meaning Joyce, but Giles thinks it's Glory. You think Buffy means Glory? Yeah. Why do you think that? Buffy doesn't like look for Glory then. She, like, looks out the window. I I think Buffy thinks Glory did it. Huh. You think Buffy's telling Giles that Joyce is at the house? I do. I think think Buffy's in shock, and she's not making sense. 
she's sort of just like thinking about her mother's body and she's like, she's at the house. Like, Oh, I, I definitely think she suspects Glory did this. Yeah, I believe that you. that's one way to interpret it. And you might be right. I uh, she, she gets this like, oh man, I gotta get Giles over here because Glory did this look on her face. Like she's suspicious that someone's in the house. Yeah. Because at this point she doesn't think Joyce is dead. Right. Well, yeah. She, I don't think, has admitted that Joyce could be dead. Right, right, right. After Buffy hangs up, the paramedics arrive. They say she doesn't have a pulse. Buffy tells them about the cancer. They try to get her to breathe. And she does. The paramedics are amazed. We see a brief montage of the EMTs in the ambulance and Joyce's doctor at the hospital just being thrilled about this miracle. But it wasn't real. Buffy flashes back to reality where they're still trying to revive her to no avail. And the EMTs are like, yeah, she's she's cold. It's It's been too long. And then the EMT tells Buffy that her mom is dead. She probably died a while before Buffy found her and there was nothing she could have done. He guesses it could have been an aneurysm or a complication from her surgery, but she probably felt very little pain. And then they just have to, like, leave to go deal with another 911 call. Yeah. And say the coroner's going to come by to deal with the body at some point. Seems insane, but it's not their job to be moving bodies around, I guess. No, I mean, their job is to save people. Yeah. It's just, like, horrible to think about. Yeah. But Buffy's just got to, like, chill there now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably real, though. Yeah. The EMT's like, have a glass of water. Is there someone you can call? And she very robotically tells him that someone's coming. He says he's sorry for her loss. And she says thank you in such a strange way. Not strange like she made the wrong choice. Just strange like he did something nice for her or something. When really he just gave her awful news. I mean, the guy's not being a piece of shit, to be clear. No, 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 not at all. He's being very kind. And then as soon as they leave, she meekly yells, good luck. At this point, it's clear she's in shock. Like, she's not thinking straight. Yeah, it's like she remembers normal human behavior things, but like isn't really processing her current situation. Right, exactly. Like I should be polite to these people, even though she would, she should be like mad and crying. The whole opening scene is very well done. Yeah. I don't really know how to describe it, but like the way it's shot is different than normal. Yes, there's a lot of choices. Like there's no score. Maybe the whole episode? I don't think it's, I think the whole episode there's no score. Maybe at the very end, but maybe not. But also, like, there's, like, a lot of ambient sounds we're hearing. And there's, like, I just, it really makes it so, I feel like almost puts us in the same mindset Buffy's in where it's just, like, you're hearing all these sounds, like, kids playing and stuff while she's, like, trying to process all this. And, like, the camera work is, like, turned up, almost like there's a heat ray on her. I know that sounds weird, but if you see it, I feel like you can tell what I'm talking about. And she's, like, all sweaty. I feel like it really kind of puts you in this, like, bizarro, what's real, what's happening kind of uh, mindset that we must assume Buffy's experiencing right now. Yeah. Also, like, when the EMT tells her that Joyce is dead, he's, like, blurry when he approaches her, and then they only, like, show his mouth, like, the top of his face is cropped. Yeah. Yeah. They do a very good job of also, like, showing that it's not all real for her yet. Like, it's very quiet. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is going to sound like a joke because of all the shit I've given Joyce, but honestly, props to the actor for her performance in this. No, yeah, right? Like, she's just got to not move or react or give Sarah anything. Right. This actor she's been working with for four and a half years. Well, three and a half. She wasn't really in season four. But she's used to doing scenes with Sarah, who's got to, like, act her ass off right now in, like, the heaviest situation possible. Like, it had to be hard for Christine Sutherland not to react or, like, be emotional. Right. When she's, like, present for Sarah going through this. Mm -hmm. So the EMTs have left. Buffy said, good luck. She leaves the front door open and kind of slowly walks through the house. She throws up in this little room off the kitchen. I don't know if I've ever seen before. She opens the back door. It's a beautiful day. 
this is one of the scenes where there's a lot of sound. There's wind chimes yeah. chiming, children playing. And Buffy just looks incredibly ill. Probably is, because she threw up. It's a cool juxtaposition, like sort of showing this mundane, regular, beautiful day going on around her, I think. Right, right. As she just like blankly deals with this awful thing and then like cleans up her vomit. This like, yeah, it's so interesting. Like all these kids having a good time and stuff. And it's like your loss is insignificant. Like it doesn't affect these other people. Yeah. I don't know if that was the point, but that's sort of how I felt. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what I would assume because those sounds seemed intentional. Like the wind chimes were like a happy sound and happy children. Also haunting. I don't know. There's something haunting about it too. Yeah. Yeah, because those can be pretty haunting sounds. Like children giggling is yeah. like a horror movie thing. And the chimes. Yeah, chimes can often be like a ominous thing. And also like a lonely thing. I don't know. That's just, these are just the emotions I had. I don't know if they were intentional or what, but that's that's how I felt. So she's just kind of staring at the paper towel, absorbing her vomit when Giles shows up. He's like, Buffy, what is it? Is it glory? That, that's also why I think it's glory. He thinks it's mm-hmm. glory. Yeah. I mean, that is the big bad this season. Who knows where Buffy lives? So it's not crazy that if something's happening at the house, he would assume it was glory. Yeah. She's been there. She's threatened to kill her family. I, I yeah. feel like Buffy should assume it's glory. Yeah. And Buffy just robotically says, I'm waiting. The coroner's coming. I have to tell Dawn. She's at school. I'll go there. Giles is like, what are you talking about? But then he notices Joyce and starts trying to wake her up. Buffy's like, no, no, we're not supposed to move the body. And she just immediately is appalled at herself for calling it the body. She like covers her mouth and Giles just goes to her and hugs her. I thought that scene was great. Yeah. I love Giles. He's awesome. Yeah. It was also interesting because if you remember when Miss Calendar dies, he like has a breakdown. He like tries to kill Angel and like Buffy saves him and he like cries in her arms. And now she's like crying in his arms when Joyce dies. We see a brief shot of Joyce getting zipped up into a bag. And then we cut to Dawn crying, which is actually pretty funny because she's just crying about a boy at school. Yeah. He called her freaky in front of everyone, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently Kirstie told everyone that Dawn cuts herself. And Dawn's like, that was only one time. And I got cut by accident when I was wigging out about my family. This is, like, on you, Dawn. No one saw any of that happen. Why did you tell Kirsty? Yeah, why are you telling people what happened? I guess it's possible that Kirsty was a friend she thought she could trust, but she blabbed. Right. Kirsty also told people that Dawn's adopted, which is, like, adjacent to the truth, so Dawn must have shared something with someone at school. Yeah, weird. Do you think there's a connection between Ben and Kirsty? Probably. Dawn's talking this all over in the bathroom with her friend, who's not Kirsty. But I don't trust her friend. I bet her friend told Kirsty all this stuff. This friend keeps blaming everything on Kirsty, but maybe it was her. Yeah, that's maybe possible. Dawn also says if she could, she'd make Kirsty's head explode using only the power of her mind, which feels like foreshadowing to me. <laughs> I don't know that Dawn can't do that. We don't know what she can do. It's either that or she's got some Luke energy right now. Yeah, that's true. So she's composing herself in the bathroom and says, great, now I look like a wet rat. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. It's like a funny visual. By the way, the hallway of Dawn's school is so lavender. It's just like painfully pastel in there, which maybe is also intentional that this is just like very cheery before the bad Bad news news. comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, is she a freshman? She should be a freshman if she was 14 in the fall of the season. Yeah, she's not even a real person, so who knows? Like, is this the new high school or is this some old lady's house they're having class in until they build a new (laughs) high school? (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't tell you. The kids look like they're in high school. Dawn goes to art class where she gets to draw next to her crush, Kevin, the boy who says she was freaky. Yeah. Their assignment is to draw the negative space around this statue of the human body. And 
dude's impressed with Don's art after like one second of our time has passed. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like drew one line. He's like, whoa, that's pretty good. Oh my God, your negative space is so fantastic. <laughs> Her bathroom friend, who's right next to Kevin on the other side, just draws, he wants you in like huge letters. Not subtle <laughs> at all. She's right though, he must. She's like barely doing any drawing. He's into it. Yeah, I've never been into a girl's negative space. <laughs> and then in the next breath, he's like, so I heard you had a freak out and cut yourself. <laughs> Jeez, dude. <laughs> He's into freaky ladies. She tries to deny this, but then he says that he relates. He's felt like that before. And then they shit on Kirsty for a while. They are not talking quietly at all. <laughs> yeah. And no one else is talking. Like, everyone in this class is hearing every word they're saying. Yeah. Maybe this is Dawn's problem. That's how people know about all this shit. She yeah. just needs to keep her conversations a little bit quieter. So anyway, I'm the key. Oh, shit. <laughs> It's kind of cool, though, because Dawn says that Kirsty is just superficial and there's just so much more important, crucial stuff going on. I think she means, like, glory and general evil in the world, but right at that moment, Buffy is also walking into the classroom to deliver some other very crucial news. Yeah. She takes her out to the hallway to talk, where, of course, Kirsty's listening. Although all the classrooms are made of glass, so everyone's watching this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It cuts to the perspective... Of the art class, so we don't actually hear Buffy say the words, but we see Dawn react through the glass window. She, as you'd expect, doesn't take it well. She's saying it's not true. She collapses. Everyone's watching this. Kevin's so turned on. (laughs) Screw is so fucking freaky. She's got so much darkness in her life. Oh, my God. I mean, Dawn's life has been pretty shitty. For a while, so this is just the shit cherry on top. Yeah, I am curious to see if we do more with her social status at school, because we did a lot of setup. We met a lot of teens. Right. I don't remember, quite honestly. We got a lot of names and faces. Maybe it was just, again, set up. This is a normal day in Dawn's life. Right. Bam. But the scene ends on Dawn's drawing of essentially the outline of a body, because they were drawing the negative space of a statue. And it's not bad. Kevin was right. But I got to say, I don't buy that she would have had time to draw as much as she did with the amount of talking she was doing. I almost feel like this scene when they were like, we're doing the negative space. It's almost like when they were shooting that first scene with Buffy. That was like the instructions to the cameraman. Like, we're focusing on not the individuals we see, but like the stuff around them. Oh, that's interesting. Then we get to see how Buffy's friends are processing this. Tara is at Willow's dorm and is helping Willow decide what to wear to meet slash support Buffy at the morgue. And Willow's just having a hell of a time. She wants to be somber, but not too depressing. She really wants to wear her blue sweater because Joyce said she liked it one time, but she can't find it. It's cool that they're showing the friends processing grief in different ways. Yeah. But it did feel a little weird that they chose this serious episode to make the joke that all of Willow's outfits are dumb. (laughs) She's like, why do all my shirts have stupid things on them? We're like, I don't know, Willow. We've all wondered that. You were upset that you looked like a cake one time. <laughs> yeah. But Tara's very comforting. She yeah. assures her they can do this. She's going to support Willow and supporting Buffy. And they share what I'm pretty sure is their first on-screen kiss. Yeah. That was also an interesting choice to make mm-hmm. in this episode. Mm-hmm. But what's cool about this episode, and this is a bit of a spoiler, but with one exception, which we'll talk about, nothing in this episode is supernatural. Right. Like, we find out Joyce basically died how the EMT suggested. It wasn't glory or some other kind of demon or magic. So this episode is really just like slice of life. Bad shit happens to people. This isn't something Buffy can fight or fix. Right. 
So having their first kiss in this episode was an interesting move, kind of telling the audience, this is normal, everyone. Yeah. Gay people are real. They grieve just like the straights. Just like the straights, yeah. It was sort of powerful, too, because it like solidified how much they care about each other because it was like a very intense kiss, too. It wasn't just- Yeah, like, yeah. Tara like grabs her face and like kind of makes out with her. It was almost like this kiss was like, hey, guys, we know we really failed everybody last season by like doing an off-screen kiss. Mm-hmm. So we want to show you that we do 100% support this relationship on camera. Here it is. I wonder if like- because I know it was like a network issue, but I wonder if after people didn't stop watching the show after season four, the network was like, okay, you can do it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, a year passed. Maybe they got hate mail. Maybe they got like angry people calling. Maybe a lot of networks were like, actually, it's not a big deal. Yeah. But it's interesting that they did this after last season when they would not even show it. But Tara's kiss doesn't distract Willow from the fact that she's missing her blue sweater. Xander and Anya are heading up to meet them. Xander double parks. Anya warns he might get a parking ticket. He's like, let him give me one. Xander's processing all of this with rage, as Luke or Emily would. Yeah. Anya's really having a hard time with all this. She wants to know what's expected of her and Xander. Xander doesn't really answer her, so she's just left feeling kind of awkward. She's probably seen a ton of death, but hasn't quite experienced anything like this before. At least not for like a thousand years. Right. When they get to the room, Xander gives Willow a nice hug. Anya tells everyone that Xander cried at home and that was weird. (laughs) (laughs) They're all kind of just at a loss for what to say or do. Like, there's also a lot of silence in this scene. Mm -hmm. I think they're all feeling for Buffy, but also for Dawn being so young because they all care about her. Tara asks Xander if he knows how to get to the morgue. He's like, yeah, we do morgue time in the Scooby gang. (laughs) That was funny because they have gone to the morgue a couple times. Yeah. Like I said, Xander's reaction to all of this is rage. He wants it to be gory, I think, so that they can, yeah. like, go after something. Right. Then he, like, tries to blame the doctors for letting her out too soon. Well, was like, well, Glory probably would have made it known if it was her. I think things just kind of happened, bud. I don't know that Glory would have made it known necessarily. Since she did, like, threaten to kill her mom, I think she would have just maybe killed her and peaced out. Well, I mean, I don't think she would have just peaced out. She would have been like, give me what I want. That's why I killed your mom. Like, she wouldn't do it secretly. Yeah, or like leave a note or something. Like, I feel like she would have sat there until Buffy got home. Yeah, that's probably true. Willow offers to box Xander, which is sweet because I think she can tell his instinct is to fight. And Tara's handling this all by being practical. She says that they need to take over patrolling as long as it takes. Willow's still very indecisive about her clothes. Tara's going to go check the laundry room for the sweater. Anya's still got all kinds of specific questions about the body, like if they're going to see it, what they're going to do to it. Should she be changing her clothes? She really has no idea what's going on or what one should do in the situation is like mad that no one's telling her. Willow's mad that she's asking all these questions, which then pushes Anya to be emotional. She just like really doesn't understand the concept of death or how someone can just like not exist anymore. She's thinking about all the mundane things that Joyce will never get to do anymore, like drink fruit punch or brush her hair. Well, now Willow feels bad for yelling. It's like, yeah, we we don't really know, Anya, like how it works or why it happens. Anya just collapses down into Willow's papazon chair and finds Willow's blue sweater under some pillows. She kind of just tucks it into her dresser unnoticed. Yeah. It's cute, but a little weird, like very princess in the pea. It's so deep under some pillows. She sits down and acts like, what the fuck? Why am I so uncomfortable? Oh, it's this soft object that was tucked like three pillows down. She used to be a princess. She's very sensitive. Yeah, I guess. Xander just punches the hole in the wall and gets his hands stuck. So they all have to help him deal with that. He pulls it out. It's very bloody. 
And Tara points out that it hurts, which Xander seems to be happy about. Maybe he's happy because he's trying to feel something. I don't know. Did you catch that? Yeah, I don't know what exactly they were going for. Willow and Xander decided it's time to go to the morgue to help Buffy because that's what they do. They help Buffy. Anya's still like, how though? They leave, they close the door. After a few seconds, Willow comes running back in. You think to grab her blue sweater, but she just grabs a different sweater. And then the camera goes out the window to below, revealing that Xander got a parking ticket. So let's talk about this scene. I was struggling with how to feel about how her friends were reacting. Because I feel like if it were me, and I had a high school friend whose parents suddenly died, I wouldn't be acting the way that like some of them are acting. Like, I think my reaction would be like, oh my God, how do I, how do I act for my friend? Not like, I guess something I need to think about is that these are closer friends maybe than I've ever had. Like they've been through so much insane stuff together, Mm -hmm. but like they weren't with Joyce that much. It's not like it was Giles. Again, I haven't experienced this. I I don't know. I, I don't know if I agree. I feel like watching it the first time, I felt a little bit like, oh, would people really react this way? But I feel like they probably did see a lot of Joyce that we just didn't see because it wouldn't be interesting TV. But I mean, I'm, I'm saying I had friends' parents that I spent a lot of time with. I, I would feel bad and sad for my friend. It, it's hard to know what I would do. So I yeah. guess I liked that they showed us a spectrum of reaction. Yeah. I think that was well done. Like, I think I'd be kind of like Tara in the situation. Like, hey, here to be helpful. What do you need? Here to listen. But I don't know that it'd be like punching a wall. Yeah. I mean, th- there's so many circumstances, though, that are different than any friendship we would have, though, right? Because, like, yes. Buffy is a world saver and, like, she doesn't deserve to have her mother killed. It's also different because, like, Buffy's just alone with a sister now. Like, they have a dad, but he sucks. And Buffy's basically a kid still. Like, our parents are relatively young. It would be sad if they suddenly died, but they are sort of approaching normal dying age and we're, like, grown with our own lives. Right. Buffy's obviously very independent, but she still, like, lives with her mother and she's not 100% responsible for her sister. So, like, there's all that, too, that makes it a lot more intense than... Right. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. What What are your thoughts about this scene? Well, my thoughts were the same that at first I was like, would they be, like, would Xander be this mad? But I don't know, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, how many times do they save the world and then go to Joyce? And then, like, that just bonds you so much more, I feel like, those life and death situations. Yeah. Would bond you to a mother so much more. But also, Willow's mother sucks. Like, Willow's relationship with her mother sucks. Xander's relationship with his mother is bad. And Anya does not have a mother right now. So I could see how these people, specifically Willow and Xander, would, like, sort of, Joyce is sort of their, like, uh, surrogate mother in a way. Yeah, that's true. Like, we see them hanging out at Joyce's all the time. We don't see them hanging out at Willow's and Xander's. Well, now that Xander has his own place sometimes, but... Yeah. So I I think just what I said, that my initial reaction, like yours, was like, their reactions feel so intense for, like, a friend's mom. But the more I thought about it, and I was like, no, it's like a way different situation than anything, like, anyone's really experienced ever. Yeah. I think Xander's reaction was the weirdest to me. Just so we're clear, if your mother died, I feel like me acting like Xander wouldn't be crazy. Or if my mother died, I could see like me acting like Xander. But like a friend's mother dying is different. But I feel like we've talked it to death. I feel like there's reasons. I, I think the reasons are to show a variety of ways people handle something like this. And yes. Xander's was to show that some people want to try to fix it by acting tough. Yeah. It's kind of like that time that my car got hit, like a hit and run situation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that guy I was with at the time that you know was like drunk and just like wanted to punch whoever did it. And you're like, that's not helpful though right now. But that's how he was feeling. And that's how Xander's feeling. Yeah. It's not the same as a mom dying, my car. But a story for another time. What happened to my car was tragic, really. 
I think about it sometimes still. Long story short, my car got hit three times in the same winter when I was never in the car. Yeah. <laughs> Completely totaled. Still drove it around. Anyway, a man that we're pretty sure is one of Joyce's cancer doctors has finished examining the body. He does this long walk down a dark hallway out of the morgue to where Buffy and her friends and Giles are waiting. They're all exchanging hugs, waiting to hear the cause of death. Anya aggressively hugs Giles. I've said it before, but man, how far they've come. Yeah. Giles notices the doctor, who's been standing there for quite some time. There were a lot of hugs. And Buffy and Dawn walk over to the doctor, and Giles goes with them. That's so nice. He's their dad now. Yeah. Like, the friends kind of hang back, but Giles goes over to hear the news. I mean, he's their dad. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we know he's not their dad, but, like, he's their dad. He's their dad. The doctor says that what the EMTs told Buffy was pretty much right. She had some kind of aneurysm, a, a vessel ruptured near where the tumor was removed. He says these things sometimes are detectable, sometimes they're not. Joyce knew this was a possibility. I guess she just didn't share that with Buffy. But he says that since she didn't try to call anyone for help, this was probably very sudden. She maybe had some nausea and passed out. But even if someone had been there with her, they probably couldn't have done anything in time. Buffy has some little visions of her being there to help her mom and it going well. And Buffy just double checks with the doctor that there wasn't any pain. He says, he's sure. But Buffy hears him say, yes, I have to lie to you to make you feel better. Mm -hmm. Like he mouths different words, but that's what she hears. Giles sweetly steps in for paperwork duty. He can tell Buffy's still not really all there. Before the doctor left, Dawn had asked about seeing the body. Buffy's like, no, no. But it seems like this event is winding down, and Dawn's not satisfied that they haven't seen her yet. So she says she has to go to the bathroom. Buffy asks if she wants someone to go with her, and Dawn's like, no, I still remember how to pee. In like a almost mad at Buffy way. Buffy tells her friends that she suspects that Dawn like is mad at her and doesn't believe her because she had like a meltdown when she died and didn't accept it. Right. Can you blame her, though? This girl's entire life is a lie. I'd want to start checking things out for myself, too. Totally, man. I, every, you just found out you're not real, so What's investigate real? everything. Yeah. Like, obviously, Buffy didn't enjoy finding her mom, but I could see why even someone not in Dawn's specific situation would want to see it for themselves. Like, yeah. Make sure it happened. Make sure yeah. no one's lying to you. Anya boards out to Buffy, I wish Joyce didn't die because she was nice, and now we all hurt. <laughs> so, Anya, but it was very sweet. Yeah, she was trying to be nice, you could tell. Yeah. And Buffy accepts it as nice. Xander, Willow, and Anya go off to find snacks, leaving Tara alone with Buffy. Buffy apologizes to Tara for having to go through all this and confesses she's feeling super out of it. She doesn't really know how to be. She's never done this. Tara's like, well, I have. Apparently her mother died when she was 17, which we suspected that maybe her mother wasn't around, but I don't know that they actually said it in the episode where her family was in town. Right. But it was like, why isn't she? If she's alive, she's like in a cage or something. Right. The way her dad was. Yeah. She's kind of like, I'm not going to pretend to understand what you're going through specifically, but like I do kind of get it that you feel like you're losing it right now and I'm here for you if you need that. And Buffy asked her if it was sudden. Tara says no and yes. It's always sudden. I'm not sure if we'll get more on that, but I think either way we can take that to mean that nothing can really prepare you for this feeling, even if it right. isn't sudden. Yeah. So Dawn comes out of the bathroom, but when she's done, she doesn't go back to join the others. She sneaks off to the morgue. She locks the door behind her, and she somehow, luckily, correctly guesses which body is her mom's. There's like six of them in there. She goes to pull back the sheet to take a little look-see. She hesitates, but behind her, a vampire, very quietly, very creepily, starts waking up. 
Meanwhile, the snack crew returns with every snack the vending machine had. Yeah. Xander's cradling four coffees like a baby. Anya says, the sandwiches are meat. (laughs) (laughs) They're starting to think it's been kind of a long time for Dawn to have been in the bathroom. So Buffy goes looking for her. Doing a lot of this long, dark morgue hallway. I wonder if that's symbolic somehow. I don't know. Maybe. Or just atmospheric. She gets there just in time to see the vampire attacking Dawn. She breaks open the door. Buffy rips the vampire off of her. This causes Dawn to fall and pull a sheet off of Joyce. Buffy doesn't have anything to get the vampire with, so she struggles with him for a bit. But at some point, they knock over some tools, and she manages to grab what is probably a a bone saw, I guess, Mm -hmm. and cuts his head off. He's gone. Poof, poof. I feel like this vampire was so unnecessary. It's just like... It's almost like they were like, this episode needs a scene where Buffy fights somebody. Let's yeah. throw in a vampire. It, it does. Sometimes other episodes, it feels that way. Like, this episode's really not about that, but we're just, like, throwing in some vampire putties. Exactly. Like, we need a fight scene. And I just, I just kind of hated it. I was like, is there literally a vampire every fucking two feet in Sunnydale? I did like the way he creepily woke up behind Dawn. Like, that was... Yeah. And, like, quietly. And maybe he was there to symbolize that Buffy still needs to deal with this. Yeah. And protect on and deal yeah. with her mother's death. I think it's a combination of what I just said and that they're supposed to have a fight in every episode. Yeah, it just, to me, it felt very much unnecessary. There's no way that's like actually a rule, though. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like we see it every episode. And like you said, sometimes it seems very shoehorned in. Yeah. But this is like the worst example, I feel like. It's just yeah. like, okay. If it was supposed to mean something, I wish it, it was more obvious what it meant. Yeah. But Dawn still wants to see the body. So after the vampire's gone, she gets up and looks Joyce in the face and asks Buffy, is she cold? Buffy says, it's not her. She's gone. It is Joyce, but she means mom's. Yeah, her soul's gone. It's not your mom anymore. Dawn asks, where'd she go? And then she goes to touch her face, but the episode ends. That was like a strong ending. I feel like that was like an emotionally powerful for like reaching to the body. Yeah. So, Brian, was this a good episode? Yeah, it's great. I mean- you and I picked apart a couple of things we didn't like. And as far as Buffy goes, it was like, it wasn't an action episode, even though they threw that fucking vampire in there at the end for no reason. There may have been a reason. We I didn't like it. But I feel like it's undeniable that this is an emotional episode. Yeah, totally. And we get to see different sides of all the characters in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they tried a lot of really unique, interesting things that worked more than didn't work. Like the no music or playing just like, ambient sounds or like the some of the camera angles to showcase that Buffy's like going through shock and like showcasing the different ways that people deal with grief like I thought it was a home run I did like how Giles was there for Buffy it would have been maybe interesting to see his grief a bit more but I'm guessing there'll be more grief to come it's not like they're gonna move past this yeah I mean Giles I'm sure has grief about Joyce's death but I feel like he was like I need to be the one in charge right now Mm -hmm, mm. Mike Whatever my grief is, Buffy's is way worse. She needs me to be the adult right now. I liked that it wasn't supernatural, too. Yeah. Like, it just goes to show that bad, regular things happen, too, and Buffy can't fix every problem. Right. With fighting. Like, things are out of her control. I'm interested to see why they killed Joyce. Like, it's got to be for a reason, like, to do something for Buffy's character. Like, this is a really big choice to make. So I'm interested to see where that goes. I don't know. I don't know if that it does or doesn't. I don't remember if there's like a plot thing that hinges on it, but I think it might have just been to show that like, you know, not every death is a supernatural one. The real world is real too. But it's really going to affect a lot. Like she's got to deal with Dawn now. 
For sure, it's going to affect a lot. I just meant like, I don't know if they were like, ooh, let's put Buffy to the test of being an adult. I don't know. Maybe they did. I don't know. But overall, I have to say it was a good episode. It worked for me. It worked for me. Yeah, me too. Obviously not a hilarious episode. Very different tone than every other episode of Buffy we've ever seen, honestly. Mm-hmm. There were jokes. Right, but this one wasn't like a lot of Buffy where it's sort of like scattered throughout. It was just like, here's a couple jokes here and a couple jokes here where that might seem appropriate, but generally this is not a funny episode. Yeah, I really, I love the first scene. Like, like we talked about the, the friend scene, I was a little iffy mm-hmm. on at first, mm-hmm. but it, now that I've had time to process, I like it more. It kind of almost reminded me of Restless. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. very dreamlike at times. Yeah. Like sometimes the way the dialogue was delivered by certain characters felt like, I mean, I think it was because they were being affected by emotion. Yeah. They were just delivered stilted or, you know, like not quite yeah. normal. It almost felt like a play. Like there were different acts. Like we had mm. the, the opening scene with Buffy and we had the scene with Dawn and then the scene with the friends and then the final scene. Yeah. It just felt like, and that was that curtain on the friend scene, you know, and it like ends with that shot out the window. Right. Like a dramatic play. I think that's all I had. Do you have anything more to say? No, I think it was a very interesting episode, so different than all the other episodes around it. And uh, I think it's undeniable to say it was a powerful episode. And I can only imagine how much more powerful it was for people who have lost their parents. Yeah. But uh, I can say unequivocally that I thought it was a good episode. So now we have to ask which episode's better. And you can either say Buffy or you can be a villain. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is such a loaded thing. Like anyone who, even if you legitimately think Gilmore is better, people are going to be mad at you if you pick it. But uh, which episode do you think is better? I think I'm going to go Gilmore. (laughs) 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 No, but you're right. Even if it, I think it is Buffy. I think it is Buffy. It was a pretty good Gilmore. It was a good Gilmore. But I, I think if this was like Wedding Bell Blues or Raincoats and Recipes versus The Body, it would be a much harder decision. But like since it's not a particularly standout, memorable episode of Gilmore Girls. Right. You're talking about the Raincoats one. That was the... Uh, season four the finale. Season four finale, which was like a perfect Gilmore. It'd be like, well, that was like a perfect Gilmore, though. Yes. Or like Tick, 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 Boom, which is like such right. a Gilmore. Yeah. The sense this was just like a regular episode of Gilmore, even if The Body wasn't like A plus for me... Which I'm not saying it wasn't A plus for me. I'm just saying like it was such an ambitious episode and it mostly succeeded. Yeah. It'd have to be like a pretty knockout Gilmore for it to. And then you'd still feel a little bad. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's what that was my point. Like even if it was a knockout Gilmore, I'd be like, am I a bad person? It was a really good Gilmore. Personally, uh, I do think this Buffy beats this Gilmore. Even though I don't really have any problems with this Gilmore. I just think this is a much more emotional Buffy that touched me more emotionally than Gilmore did. Yeah, it's it's not a hard decision. My point is just, if it was a hard decision, I would still feel bad picking Gilmore. Yep, yep. And I obviously picked the body as well because uh, I'm not a bad person. <laughs> I did pick the body. I know I said Gilmore first. I just want to make it clear I did pick Buffy. Yes. It was a joke. If you guys want to watch along next week, we will be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 5, Episode 17, Forever. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 5, Episode 17, Pulp Friction. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. How did the body affect you when you first saw it? What were your feelings about it? Which of Buffy's four friends' grief types do you most relate with? Do you think Richard likes being Lorelai's favorite? Who was more angry, Emily or Luke? (laughs) That's a good question. How did you feel about Rory's outburst at Friday Night Dinner? Yeah, was that out of character or appropriate? Do you think Joyce up in heaven is mad at Willow for wearing the wrong sweater? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. 
or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an EY. For more bonus content, you can find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Stacy, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. For more non-podcast content, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or on our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. Um, I do need to wait until marriage. I've not told you that yet. Well, that changes things a lot. Yeah, considering what we've done. Yeah, oof. Oof. Well, we should go talk about that. Yeah, not in front of the books, though. All right, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. 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 Slay.